we have a, a real treat. A, a friend of mine and Jeremy's, Ashanti Petaway. Um, we're so glad you're here with us today, mm-hmm. brother. Um, Ashanti, you might recognize his voice uh, from Moody Radio if you listen to 90.1. Um, but what's exciting, Ashanti's a, a pastoral resident at Holy Trinity Church here in Chicago, mm-hmm. which is a multi campus church that we love that's been an encouragement to us as well as part of us, an organization that we we connected with called the Chicago Partnership for Church Planting. And um, Nishanti is a, a great leader. He and I were on a um, panel on discussion, a panel discussion yeah. um, last year talking about racing the local church with a guy named Brian Dye from Legacy Church. It was a great time. And so as Jeremy and I were thinking about who to have come speak here, we thought, man, we've got to have Ashanti come through, preach God's word for us. So um, we're excited to hear from you and learn from you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah. All right. It truly is a joy to be here. And uh, for all my kids, I wanted to let you do some stand-up real quick, all the kids in the room. All the kids in the room. All of you. It's okay. For the next 10 seconds, scream as loud as you can. Seriously, just scream. Keep going. Go ahead. Keep going. There you go. There you go. Okay, that's going to help you guys not be as loud during the sermon. Help you get some of the energy out. I want to I help you out with that. Uh, again, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, words really can't express it how much it means to kind of be here. I've I met Eric uh, in passing my freshman year at Moody, uh, starting as a freshman at Moody Bible Institute at the age of 28. Uh, so you can imagine what that was like. <laughs> and then uh, during my time there, I got to meet my young brother, Jeremy. And uh, over the years, uh, we've, we've just had some great times together. And uh, I could tell you some stories about Jeremy, but I told you, I, t- I promised him I would not not put him out there like that, but we had a lot of fun together. We worked with each other, and uh, even, didn't you live a floor underneath me for a semester? So it's truly a joy to be here. And Eric, I don't know if you guys know this, but you haven't seen all the pastors in Chicago, but I'm sure you've seen some. He is like the GQ of pastors. <laughs> like, he won't admit it. Like, I adjusted my outfit today. Like, I literally went to the website. I was like, well, okay, let me get a vibe. I wear my suit. Then I looked at the video, and it told about the brook. I was like, nah, that's not going to cut it. And I was like, well, let me try it. I looked at the magazine. I was like, okay, I'm going to go with this. Can't quite meet a standard, but at least I get close to it. You know, uh, so it's a blessing to be here, man. Thank you, Eric and Erica, his beautiful wife and their kids. Uh, and, you know, one of the difficulties in preaching sometimes is when you, you come you're studying your word, and you come to a new place, you're, one, concerned about the people because they're like, okay, I came to church Sunday. Pastor didn't let me know he was preaching. I was actually looking forward to hearing Jeremy. I was actually looking forward to hearing Eric. And so then we had the pressure of, like, okay, we've got to live up to the standard. Secondly, when we're doing our study, oftentimes, uh, for those of us especially who are uh, more school-oriented and just like to get into stuff, we can get so heady that it gets to be overwhelming, and then whatever we produce and give out, you guys are like, what am I supposed to do with that? Because there's no actual application or tangible way. You're just like, I'm lost in some heady theological uh, vomit that he spit out. Uh, But today, I want to say that I'm excited to be before you because this worship, man, it just, it, I don't care who comes to preach, you can't help but be ready to preach after the worship. 
how you guys freely just praise the Lord in various aspects. You got some who raise their hands, some who don't, some who are loud, some who are not. And I truly believe that's the beauty of worship. It doesn't have to look one way. And I'm like, man, this is, this is beautiful. And I'm hoping this is actually something that I can kind of say, hey, let me, let me show you guys back where I'm at doing my residency. Like, this is some of the things that can happen even in a multicultural environment where worship can be different, but all bring us together. Amen? All right. You know, now we live in a, a, a day and time where there's just a lot of questions going on. You can check your local newscast or your recent uh, social media feed, and there are all kind of questions going on in regards to uh, people arguing left and right regarding morality, uh, marriage, uh, race, injustice, terrorism, gender identification, like all these things are going on. And most of the time, as Christians, it just seems like we're constantly being beat up on these sites because it's like everything we stand for contradicts what the rest of the world believes. And it leaves people, for the most part, who are unbelievers with a lot of questions. They're left with a lot of questions and ideas regarding Christianity based off what they see on the Internet. People start asking questions like, you know, what is Christianity really all about? How is it that your religion is the right one and everybody else's religion is the wrong one? And, in fact, you know, what makes Jesus so much different? Like, what makes him different from any other God? In fact, I believe we all serve the same God. These are the ideas and questions that are going around. And at the core of it, I believe that the question is really, what's the big deal about Jesus? Like, what is the big deal about this, this, this Jesus, this Savior, Jesus the Christ? And I think that is where we need most help. So today, that's the question we're going to answer. We're going to, we're going to answer the question, what is the big deal about Jesus? And so I want you guys to join me today. I'm going to be reading from uh, Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 510. Now, I'm going to forewarn you. I know you heard that. You said, did he just cross over chapters? <laughs> Don't be worried. We're going to read through it. It's not going to overwhelm you, and we're going to be able to grow from this and learn from this. Amen? So would you stand with me as I read? And again, I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to go verse 14 all the way to chapter 5, verse 10. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he said also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication and loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And he, being made perfect, 
he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Thank you. Y'all may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the fact that you love us. We thank you for the fact that even though you are God, even though you are worthy of all the praise, all the honor, you still chose to come down and deal with us and interact with us. Pray that this day, as we continue to lift up your name, as we've done all morning, but now through the preaching of your word, that you be glorified. I pray that this ministers to the hearts of everyone here, including myself. And Lord, anything that is of me, allow it to die right now and allow only you to rise up and speak to your people. Lord, we thank you for this time and believe you that we're not going to leave here the same way we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm excited, y'all. Let's get into this. Uh, Now, how many of you have ever had a friend or family member tell you a story about a movie? And basically, they sum up like the two-hour movie and like real quick, they give it to you in like three to five minutes. But then one day, you decide to go actually watch the movie. Now, once you watch the movie, you're like, man, hold up. They left out a lot of information. Like, even their main point of the actual movie wasn't really the main point. And it's almost frustrating because you're like, you're like, if I would not have watched this movie myself, I would have actually been led to believe this movie was about something it wasn't about. And that was my experience as I began to read the book of Hebrews. Because for so many years, Hebrews has always been the book of the heroes of the faith, uh, the great Christian believers of faith. And, like, that's been the overarching theme of the entire book as I've known it. But what happened is, as I began to read the book myself and study it myself, I found out, I was like, man, that's only one chapter out of the 13 chapters in this entire book. And as I began to study and look, I said, you know, Lord, help me, help me really figure out what is it the overall theme is that you're trying to teach us through Hebrews. And as I studied and looked, I really believe that the theme is the author of Hebrews is communicating to us that God has spoken through his son, Jesus. And I know you may be saying, well, what is that? We're going we're gonna to dig into that and see how God, the significance of the fact that God has spoken through his son, Jesus. Now, if any of you guys have uh, been around uh, people who argue over their favorite rapper, basketball player, football player, you know, usually when you get in those conversations, it's always an argument where everybody's giving the stats on why their person's the best. Like, I know Jeremy, he's a guy, he's going to argue left and right over rappers. Uh, somebody else is going to argue over sports. But again, these are things where you'll go back and forth. And so what we find is the author in Hebrews is saying, listen, I want to go ahead and begin to argue the point as to why Jesus is really a big deal, to why the fact that God has spoken through his son, Jesus, is really the big deal of the thing. Because what happened is the people of Hebrew were really being uh, in a unique situation where they were being caught between a rock and a hard place in this. They had heard the teaching of the apostles, but then after the apostles had kind of left and they were to themselves and having to grow and learn, somebody else came in and started teaching something different and began to say, listen, this Jesus, he was good, but he wasn't good enough. Like, you still need to be practicing these Old Testament traditions. That's the only way you're being able to be made right with God. Only through these traditions, only through these ways of uh, animal sacrifices and burning of incense. Like, this is the only way you're right with God. So now, the author of Hebrews says, no, no, listen. You've already seen that the Old Testament rituals were insignificant. They were not enough. They weren't enough to get you in right standing with God. That is why the coming of the Messiah was so essential, because he was necessary in order for us to be made right. And so, he begins to tell them, hold up, y'all. 
don't go back. Don't go back to this old way of teaching. Don't go back to these old rituals and things that seem natural to you. Because listen, what Christ has given you in himself is far more precious and is eternal and significant. And so in chapters 1 through 4 of Hebrews, he kind of gives these various aspects where he's given the credentials of why Jesus is the man. He's saying, listen, Jesus is greater than everything. In fact, all creation bows down to him. He says the apostles' message is greater than the message of the angels of the Old Testament because their message is about the Messiah, Jesus himself. So all these things he starts going through and breaking down. And then the chapter we find ourselves, he says, listen, I'm going to give you three more reasons to understand why. Three more credentials to prove that as much as you want to rely on that Old Testament view and say, hey, this is the right way, I'm going to give you three reasons that's going to blow that out of the water. And three of those things is that Jesus is able to relate to our weakness. He's God, and he's still able to relate to our weakness. Jesus is greater than all the priests of old. That's why they call him the great high priest. And Jesus was appointed. He wasn't someone who earned his position or made his own position, but he was appointed by God the Father. Again, we'll read in verse 14 through 16 where it says, Since there was a great high priest who was passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. See here, the author of Hebrews opens up with two identifying statements. He says, listen, I'm going to give you two of Jesus' credentials, and that's going to be summed up in his titles. He gives them the title of great high priest and son of God. And we'll dig into the significance of each of those titles as we go forward, but why is it important for us to see the titles first? Like, of all the things he could have said, why is it that he said, listen, I want you guys to know that Jesus is the great high priest, and he is the son of God. The reason he did this is because the title is the ground by which we are able to hold fast to our confession of faith. It's, it's in those titles that when we confess Jesus as Lord, we can hold fast to that because of his authority and because of his titles. So let's give an example of how that makes sense. So how many of you guys grew up with siblings, cousins, and you hung out with them growing up? Yeah, most of us have. And you know you had those times where you knew and they knew what they were doing they had no business doing. You're like, come on, man, don't do it. We're going to get in trouble. You know we ain't got no business doing this. But what happened? Do they ever listen to you? No. Why, do they don't, why is it they don't listen to you? Because they're like, you my cousin. You my sibling. You have no power. Like, I'm not scared of you. You know what I'm saying? But what happens is when you decide to tell them to do it, they don't listen. But when your mother or father has said, hey, listen, go tell your brother or sister, this needs to stop. You walk with a different level of confidence. Like, you go into them like, oh, yeah, they about to get this. I'm about to give it to them. And the first thing you say, you don't say you better stop. The first thing you say, mom or dad said stop. And it's why. Why? Why did you say that? Because you knew there was power and authority in their position and title. And so when you said that to them, they knew, oh, snap, I better stop. Because this is not my cousin talking to me. This is not my brother or sister talking to me. This is an order from my parents, the authority, the people who I serve under and I sit under. And I know if I don't do what they say, I'm going to get it. And see, that is what the author is trying to communicate. He's saying, listen, you're able to hold fast to this confession of faith because of the position that Jesus holds. See, if Jesus was just another man and he did not fulfill the role of great high priest or son of God, 
then why would they have taken his word to be true? Like, why would they have taken and said, okay, well, you know, we're still waiting on the Messiah. I mean, why? Because he's the one who has the real authority. He's the one who has the title. And what the author is communicating, he's saying, no, listen, he is the great high priest. He is the son of God. And because of that, you can hold fast to what we have been preaching to you. You can hold fast to this truth that has come forth to you, and you can walk in confidence. You've tried it. Listen, you've tried the Old Testament way. You've tried the rituals. You've tried the sacrifices, and you know in and of yourself it always fell short. It always paled in comparison. And that is what we need to understand is that we can have confidence because of who God is. We can have confidence because of his title. That is one of the things that makes him a big deal because he does it all in those two things. Jesus serves as the ultimate sacrifice who not only paid the penalty for our sins today, but our sins forever. The title also helps set the stage of a, what I, I just find beauty of what God does through his son Jesus. You know, in over 12 years I've served just kind of like in youth ministry, working with kids from junior high all the way to college. And one of the things I've experienced, whether they were believers or non-believers, is that they all kind of wrestled with this idea that somehow God was, like, not into them. And, I mean, regardless of whatever your financial background, I mean, white, black, Latino, uh, poor, rich, middle class, I mean, no matter what, that's just been, like, a common theme I've learned. Like, they're just like, God isn't really concerned about me. Like, he's a big guy, but he, you know, little me, he's not worried about that. But the funny thing is, over the times, as I began to work with people more and just living more, I found out that most adults are struggling with the same thing. It's something that I thought was exclusive to teens, but then found out that, no, most of us are all struggling with this idea. We believe that God isn't concerned about our small lives. That in this big world, how is it that he could be thinking about us? Because if we're honest with ourselves, does anybody here really believe the president of the United States, Barack Obama, is concerned about what's going on in your world right now? Your rent's due, you know what I'm saying, the car's about to break down, somebody's really getting you know, nerves at work, and you're like, I'm about to <laughs> say something. <laughs> but we don't believe he's concerned with our well-being. We don't believe he's concerned because why? He's the president. He's got more pressing issues. He's got to worry about the nation's safety, the economy, health care, foreign policy. These are all things that are important to the president. And that's how many of us view God. We view him as distant, uninterested, not engaged. In fact, the only time we really think God is concerned with this is when he brings out that billy club to whoop our behind for doing something we shouldn't have been doing. He's only there to condemn us. But that's, that's not the truth. And so what the, the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, no, listen, you need to have your, your view altered. You've got to understand, listen, God is concerned with you. And he says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And, you know, one of the great examples I think the gospel gives of this is in uh, this idea that God being concerned about us is in John chapter 11. And it paints a beautiful picture of, of Jesus himself sympathizing with his, chil- his children. And so many of you guys might have heard this story. It's the story of Lazarus. And that's where uh, basically Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus dies. And so Jesus comes to them. But they're a little disappointed because he was already sick. And they had already sent, sent to Jesus. They sent word to him like, hey, listen, we need you to come. Lazarus is sick. 
But Jesus said, not now. And one of the things he was saying is like, listen, his sickness and his death is not, he's not unto death. Like this is so that my power can be shown. But Mary and Martha have no clue of that. All they know is that Jesus, who they loved, and their brother who they loved, and knew that Jesus could help them, didn't show up. So when Jesus gets there, this is what they say to him. It's interesting because Martha and Mary see him on two different occasions. They didn't run to him at the same time. It was like Martha ran first, Mary ran second. And so what happened is they said the same exact thing, though. They both said the same comment. They said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it's after Mary says this that the scripture proclaims, Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, and he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus wept. Yes, Jesus, the great high priest, the son of God, was moved with compassion. He was moved in such a way because he could feel their pain and he sympathized with them. And think about your own life. When you've been in pain, weakness, because of your sin or someone else's hurt towards you. And when you needed comfort, and then all of a sudden God sent someone to pray or listen to you or encourage you. Yes, it's in that moment that God was saying to you, yes, you are important to me. Yes, I'm concerned about your well-being. Yes, I sympathize with you. Now, when we know that God is able to sympathize with us, it gives us a, a sense of courage and strength. The question is, why does it give us courage and strength? It's because we, again, know his authority, know his power, and it's like if God is with us, man, we know what, what can even come close to stopping us. And think about it in your own personal life. Maybe you've had somebody that you've worked with in upper management, or you have a, a, a for my young people, maybe who are a little more hood, don't get offended if I say it, like the OG in the, on the block. You know, you had the OG that you, you just respected. Uh, or maybe somebody in the pastoral leadership that you feel comfortable going to in your times of need. When you're experiencing some hardship, when you're facing trials and tribulations, you're just like, I don't know how to get through this. One of the reasons you're able to go to them is because you feel like they can relate to you. Like their position, their title says, man, they shouldn't be concerned about me. But there's something about them that says, I know they can listen to me and I know they can relate. There's something about them that I know can resonate with me and therefore I go to them. And for me, I had a situation like this where the person I actually went to in these arenas was my mom. Uh, growing up in a single-parent household, that was, that, was, that was my ace. Me and my mom were super close. And I remember in college, I had really been struggling with sexual purity. And I'm going to be very transparent right now. I had just had sex like two days before. And I called my mom because I was feeling miserable. I felt, I felt guilty. I felt like, man, why did I do this? I felt like, man, I'm, I'm, gonna be, I'm being just like what society says, says I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a womanizer. And I'm like, that's not what I want to be. That's not who I want to be. And in that moment of weakness, I was able to go to her, and she was able to sympathize with me, but also at the same time encourage me. And the reason why I was able to do that, again, is because I knew she could relate. So the reason why we, we were able to gravitate to these people, the reason why we're able to go to them and talk to them about these sensitive issues, things that you would say, I usually, based off their position, I wouldn't usually talk to. Because, come on, fellas, how many of y'all would have, if y'all would have felt like that, y'all would have went to your mom? Like, fellas, I, I see the guys, they ain't just saying that, they're shaking their head like, nah, bro. Couldn't have done that. Oh, for my ladies, you wouldn't have went to your dad. That's the last person you would have went to. Uh, so in that, it's this idea that they're able to relate to us. And, and, and if you ever question, well, how does God 
does God really relate to me? Does God really know me? Does God even really, is he really even concerned with me? Well, I say look to Scripture. What does Scripture say to this? Well, in Psalms 139, it says this. It says that, in fact, God knows you better than you could imagine because he says, for you formed our inward parts. You knitted us together in our mother's womb. Our frame was not hidden from you. When we were being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw our unformed substance. See, God sympathizes with you. God knows you. God can can relate to you because he knew you before you were you. And that is the reason why we can go to God. That's the reason why we can have confidence in him because he's a God who can relate to us because he created us. Yes, our God knows us. Yes, our God sympathizes with us. And yes, we're called to go to him in our times of need. Now, as you continue, and it jumped in chapter 5, chapter 5 jumps off saying again, for every high priest has been chosen from among men, appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice of his own sins, just as he does for the others, those of the people. I'm going to give you that in the Ebonics. Here we go. Jesus, the, the great high, the high priest of that time, or the priest, they would go before the Lord on behalf of our sins. So it would be like Pastor Eric Rivera going, saying, hey, I'm going to go before the Lord on behalf of our sins. But the different thing is this. Eric would also have to pay a sacrifice for his sin. He would have to bring something himself. Why? Because he was... Although pastor, although leader of the church, he was still a human being. He was still flawed. Me, all of us, still flawed, still have flesh issues. So we would still have to then present a sacrifice for ourselves. But Jesus is uniquely different than every other priest to come, every other priest of old. He's uniquely different. Why? Well, the Scripture tells us clearly in chapter 4, verse 15, because it says, But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, yes, the Old Testament priests served as mediators for us. They presented the sacrifice for the people and themselves. But Jesus now serves as our mediator, and he doesn't have to present anything but himself because he is perfect. That is why for those of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, we can walk in faith, we can walk in power, we can walk in strength because we know because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, we've been taken care of for good. Not taken care of partially, not taken care of for a certain amount of time, but taken care of forever. And for those of us who are in here who maybe don't know Jesus, many of us are even searching and desiring, like, who can cover me for good? Like, we've had family members who have left us down. We've had friends who have left us down. We were used to the world leaving us out. So it's hard for us to believe that there's actually somebody out there who could be there for us and take care of us for good. And I'm here to proclaim to you today that is what Jesus does. And that is what he offers to you. And that although you may experience some hardships, although you may have seen some people let you down, don't let that view of them taint your view of who God is. Yes, Jesus was and is the unique high priest because he is without sin. He goes before the Father on our behalf, and therefore Jesus serves as the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, bringing those who put their faith in him back into relationship with God the Father. And if it wasn't enough that Jesus as God can relate to our weakness and sympathize with us, it also continues to let us know that the big deal about Jesus is that He was appointed by God the Father. He isn't somebody who was self-appointed. He didn't just put himself in the position. 
As I mentioned before, the audience in this book were wrestling with the temptation to go back and forth to the law of Moses and begin offering sacrifices and other ritual processes again. Again, going back to the ways of old, which is basically saying that Jesus' work on the cross was insufficient. The message they were saying is that the apostles' message about Jesus Christ wasn't legit. Like, it wasn't solid. There's nothing we can rely on. But the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let's get this right. Jesus is it. Jesus is enough. There is nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you ever could have done. There's nothing that you will ever be able to do in the future that will ever be sufficient enough to cover that sacrifice. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right before the Lord. And how many of us know that? Come on, man. Let's be real. How many of us used to go to the club on Saturday night, get turned up, but we like, yo, I got to get to church on Sunday. Like, that was going to make things right. Like, literally, I know dope boys who sell crack on a weekly basis who like, yo, as long as I tithe and go to church on Sunday, I'm good. Like, because it's their way. Listen, in, the, in, their, in their natural mind, it's like, this is my way of making myself right before God. It's, it's somehow a, a penance for the sins I committed. And all the Hebrews are saying, no, listen, Jesus is it. His sacrifice is it. There's nothing you can do. You're undeserving of it. If He's it. And so when you're having these conversations, I, I know it's hard because you're like, man, what do I say to these people? I've got to be able to come up with some interesting thing. I've got to come up with a great analogy, this, that, and the other. Listen, you can come up with the great analogies. The Lord will lead you with some great ideas to say. But at the end of the day, they're going to be offended because you're going to say this. Jesus is it. Jesus is the only way. And that's hard for people. It's hard for people, and sometimes even us as believers, we're like, but man, isn't that kind of arrogant for me to say Jesus is the only way? Isn't it arrogant for me to say, well, this person who says they believe and they're spiritual, like, isn't it wrong for me to say that they're not right? I'll say this. It's wrong for you to be mean about it. It's wrong for you to be rude and hurtful and hateful when you say it, and you take the blessing of Jesus and use it as a, as a rifle just to shoot people down, and pick them off, pop, pop. I know people like that. They're just like, oh, I got my theology. I'm going to shoot these people off. And there's no compassion. But when you, when you love them and you speak to them with compassion and love, it's still going to come down to the same truth. Listen, no matter what you believe, as much as you seem as if it's real, Jesus is it. That's it. And we've got to walk in boldness knowing that. Now, I don't know if you were ever like me, but often in reading the Bible, I never really paid attention to, like, the footnotes and the, the, the stuff that would seem like it was in italics and all the little numbers or letters beside the word. I just didn't pay no attention, right? Who's with me? Come on, be honest. You're just like, eh, I'm just reading. I don't feel like doing all the extra work. It's not that serious. But in actuality, there's so much that we miss out on we don't do it. And I want to let you know, don't think because we went to school that somehow we're better. No, all you have to do is look at it and read. And the way the Internet works now, you can actually go online. And if you've got questions on how to use your Bible, it can answer those for you. But I want to encourage you to look at those things because one of the things that are brought up in this text are, are two quotes from the Old Testament. And both of them actually come from Psalms, Psalm 2-7 and Psalms 110-5. And if you didn't pay attention, you wouldn't know that's where they were from because in verses 5 through uh, 6, you see these in chapter 5. So what is the importance of him, him quoting these Old Testament texts? Why is it significant? It says this, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, 
you are the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So in quoting these two Old Testament verses, he's basically taking us back to his initial statements made in 414 where he talks about giving the title of great high priest and son of God. So he's saying to them, listen, you're being tempted to go back to the old ways, but the very things you're trying to go back to, the old ways you were looking at, the old teachings, were all actually prophetically speaking of what you have been given now. Let me repeat that so we don't get lost. It's saying, listen, what you were holding on to in the Old Testament, the Old Testament spoke of and was speaking of the coming of the Messiah. And they were all excited about the coming of the Messiah and the healing of their nation and Israel being restored. That's what they were looking forward to. And the author is saying, listen, what you were looking forward to and you're attempting to go back to in order to be close to, Jesus was him. Jesus did it. He was the Messiah. He was the king. He was who you were waiting for. And because of that, it almost seems foolish for you to go back. It seems ridiculous for you to go back to try and get what you have now. And that is what he needed to communicate. And I know you're saying, well, I, I would have never, yeah, you would have never picked that up. Because it's not just an arbitrary scripture that's there, a verse quoted from Old Testament just to be quoted. Like, it serves a purpose. Now, there's some of us in here who I honestly was doing the same thing for years. I was like, who is Melchizedek? Don't be shocked, because you know what? He shows up literally in only three books. He shows up in Genesis once. He shows up in Psalms, I believe, twice. And then he shows up in the book of Hebrews in chapters, I believe, 5, 6, and 7. And that's it for the entire Bible. And so we could miss out on, like, who is this? Like, what's the significance of this person? Well, if you go back, you'd be shocked to say that uh, he had a very interesting title. He was known as the King of Righteousness but also known as the king of peace. And what's fascinating about Melchizedek is that he was both priest and king. And you say, why is that fascinating? Because the only other person to hold the position of both priest and king is Jesus Christ. So in the entire writing of the text, the Holy Spirit writing and downloading the scriptures to man and putting it in the 66 books of the Bible, There are only two. So what does that mean about Melchizedek? What does that mean about his role? Melchizedek served as a foreshadowing of what was to come. Again, further proving the point, the Old Testament served to tell of what was coming, and now Jesus is here, and they're telling him, listen, who you were waiting for, who you were hoping for is here, and he holds these two unique roles, and that's the role of the great high priest as well as the king and son of God. Hopefully, that's encouraged you to not overlook (laughs) some of those Old Testament scriptures as you read them. Because, again, throughout the scriptures, Jesus is constantly revealing himself. And as you read God's word, he's constantly proving himself to be true to who he is. As you go down, you may be saying, well, Ashanti, I hear all this. We got the big deal. Jesus is a big deal because... He's greater than all the other priests. He's, he's the great pride priest and son of God. I get that. He can sympathize with our, 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 our weaknesses and our hurts. But, like, how is it that he can really sympathize with our weaknesses and hurts? Like, how do I know that to be true? How do I know that to be real? Well, it tells us that in verse 8 of chapter 5, and it says this one statement. It says, although he was son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. The reason many of us struggle with the idea of God being able to sympathize with us is because we don't really believe he suffered like us. 
you know, think about it. We, we don't complain about God being able to understand us when it comes to uh, being happy, excited, joyful. But the only time we complain about God being able to relate to us, and I mean all of us, not you, not just not me, I mean all of us as a collective. The only time if we think about it, we really complain about God not being good enough or not being concerned is we feel as if he cannot relate to us in regards to our suffering. He can't relate to us in regards to our pain because we say, no, you're God, you know, you love everybody, you know, you're creator of the universe, you got all power in your hand, you know, you can't really relate to me. You can't relate to my pain, but that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says he suffered like us. When our prayers aren't answered, when our life becomes overwhelming, we want everything to stop for just one minute. It's in those moments that we say painfully in a, in a pain-filled voice that, you know, Jesus, you just don't understand my hurt. Jesus, where are you? Why aren't you comforting me? Again, the text rejects that very idea. And what does it say about Jesus' suffering? What do we know about the suffering of Jesus, the Son of God? We know he suffered rejection, persecution, violence, hate, abandonment from those who said they loved him. Yes, God can sympathize with all of us. He can sympathize with you and me in our pains. One thing I'm big on is when you share ideas of this, it's, it's real easy for me as a preacher to say, yeah, God does this, and you, you should relate to it. You should believe him because he sympathizes with the, our suffering. Um, but I always believe it's important you understand that that's not something I'm just saying as a preacher. It's not something that I'm just saying, oh, this is in theory what you should be doing. This isn't just some theological idea that I'm throwing out here. In uh, late July of this year, or should I say of 2015, um, me and my wife were excitingly, you know, we, were, we found out we were going to be parents again. And we were, like, so excited because it was unexpected. We weren't really trying, not trying to catch up with Eric, but, you know, you know, we've got one. Figure we can add another one to the crew. Um, and literally, I just started my position as a pastoral resident. So my, my first walking really into full-time ministry. And what happened was two weeks, literally two weeks after I started, my wife began to spot. We were in our first trimester. And it's like, you know, it's all good. Maybe it's going to be all right. God's got us. You know, he got us through our first birth. We're good to go. Like, Jesus is it, you know. There's nothing he can't do. There's no reason why we went. You're in good health. We had, a, like, it's all good, you know. I'm reading up online, looking up information. Yeah, it says, you know, like, one in every five women's spot. Like, that's normal. But it became very clear within a few days that, like, something went right. And I remember going to that hospital and just trying to stay strong for my wife because, you know, as a husband, I'm like, yo, I got to. Uh, you know, I can't have an emotional breakdown because she's already mostly really struggling. I'm like, if, if the baby's good, I don't need to add no pressure. And I remember being outside of uh, the hospital, University of Chicago Hospital. And uh, I was outside, and I was just began to cry out to God, like, God, you know, save, my, my, save our child, protect my wife. Uh, just, just, I was just praying, praying, praying hard. And um, they sent us home and said, okay, everything seems good. They said, if something begins to go wrong, you know it's more bleeding, you know, go back. So literally, probably five to six hours later, 
I kn- we noticed something was significantly wrong. And uh, we went back to the hospital. And uh, we ended up losing our child. For somebody like me, that was very hard just because I, I, I grew up in a broken family. Love my dad. Uh, love my mom. We're, I'm in good relationship with my parents. Uh, and I grew up with my mom, though. And one thing I always looked forward to was family. It was important for me, like, to have a family. And I remember being so overjoyed with this new life coming. And just that quickly, it was gone. And I didn't understand why. You know, uh, it was a moment where I said, God, I'm not feeling you. I don't like your decision. I don't understand why you would let this happen. All the people out there, and let's be honest, I was like, all the people out here having kids, ain't trying to take care of them. Fathers who could care less how many women they impregnate. And, and, and like, I want to raise my children. I want to raise this gift. Why? Why would you let our child die? And it didn't get to a point where I, I ever was like, you know, I wasn't happy. I'm going to be honest. I just was not happy with God. I was frustrated. I didn't understand why. I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't asking for a car. I wasn't asking for a financial blessing. I just wanted our child. And I remember when we got home, uh, I really just was like, Lord, okay, get us through this. Help us through this process. Give us what we need in order to maintain. And what you try and do is you try and go back to some sense of normalcy. So <laughs> she took a shower, was bathing, and I, I went and said, I'm going to wash the dishes and just try and go on about the day. But the Lord knew I was hurting, and uh, the Lord was just like, listen, the Holy Spirit just clearly was like, cut on some music. Now, the funny thing is I didn't know what he was going to tell me to cut on, and you guys are probably going to laugh when, when I tell you. He told me to actually cut on a rap song, right? <laughs> it's not usually what you think of, uh, but it was from one of my favorite groups. It's uh, this song called Off the Hook. And uh, in this song, uh, I'm going to give you like a quick overview of it. It's, it's this young man who comes home. He's got a court subpoena at his door saying, you, you, you're doing court. And he's like, well, this is crazy. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm going to go to court because I know I'm going to get off. But when he gets to court, what he finds out is the prosecution has gone before the judge and said, hey, the defendant here is guilty of not knowing who God is, and he's also guilty of sin. And this guy is like, what? Like, how are you going to say I don't know God? I grew up knowing God. I've been to church, this, and the other. Uh, but what happens is throughout the part of the song, the prosecution continues to explain and communicate how, yes, you are a sinner, and yes, you have lived without God. And so what happens is he realizes, like, yo, they're right. Like, yo, like he re- I really am a sinner. I really don't know God. I really am no good, and I really am guilty. And this is the part of the song where the Lord began to really bless me. And it says, the judge stood with the law book. They all looked and saw what blew their minds as the one who made the law took off his robe and became the substitution. Off he strode to the place of execution, gave me a pardon, instead let them bruise him justified me and let the law accuse him. They gripped him, 
stripped him, whipped him. They saw thorns and picked him. They sticked him. He made himself the victim. I felt the pain. I walked home in the rain, changed, not the same, because I knew I should have got the blame. How could I complain? I wept on my bed. When on my pillow, I found a letter, and it read, I bled all because I loved you. My blood was shed all because I loved you. They killed me instead all because I loved you. I rose from the dead all because I love you. In that moment of pain, it still hurts. I just began to cry out to God in praise because I remembered he could relate to my suffering. And him sending his son to die for you and me. When we were at odds with him, when we were his enemy, when we deserved every bit of the punishment, he died. So even though I lost our child, a precious angel, it was okay because I know God is still with us. Because I know God is still good. And I know that God can still sympathize with my weakness, with my pain, with my hurt. And I want you to understand, this is not me standing up here saying that, yes, God, I'm glad that you allowed our child to die. This is me saying, I still don't get it. I'm still not happy about it. But you are still God. You are still good. You are still sovereign. You are still holy. And you are still worthy of all of my life. So you're going to experience some times in life where you just don't get it, but don't let the fact that you don't get it change how you see God. Because he still is worthy of it. You're still des- we're still undeserving of all that he's given us. And we can still hold fast to that hope, knowing that God is with us and knowing that he can relate to us. You know, there are two people in here in this congregation. There are only two of us. We might want to try and break it up into big old different categories. No, there are two different categories. There are those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior who have somehow forgotten that he relates to us and is concerned about every waking moment of our lives. And those of us who are still searching, looking for hope, desiring peace in their lives, but have yet to choose Jesus and walk with him. But listen, there's only one option. There's only one option in both of those scenarios, and that is to choose to trust Jesus for who he says he is. That's choosing to believe that God is who he says he is. Choosing to believe that he can sympathize with us and relate to us because he is the son of God. Because he is a great high priest. Because he was appointed by God the Father himself. And because in his love, he went to the cross for us on our behalf so that we might be redeemed And so that this temporary life that we have on earth wouldn't end in this future of death, but would end in eternal glory forever where we will reign with him. That is why we're able to have joy today. That is why we're able to walk in hope. I don't know what you're facing. And I know it can be real. I know your pain is unique to you. Maybe it's not a miscarriage. Maybe it's a financial struggle. Maybe it's just a struggle with a marital relationship. Maybe it's a struggle with a family relationship because you've been rejected by your mother and your father. No matter what it is, 
know that you can go to Jesus and know that he isn't kind of concerned. He isn't kind of worried. He is very concerned. So much so that the creator of all this earth said, listen, I want you to talk to me. He has the title. He has the position. The Lord has everything to walk arrogantly and say, you guys bow down before me, and I'm not even going to communicate with you. But what does he say? He says, I want to be in union with you. I love you so much, I'm going to let my spirit rest and reside in you. And that is why we can have joy today. You hear me? At this time, I know we've got uh, men and women who serve uh, as prayer warriors here. And maybe right now is a time that you just need prayer. I'm going to ask those men and women to come up so that we can pray for you right now. Uh, don't let your pride, don't let, like, throw it all away right now. 